Good morning, Four Oaks. We don't know each other. I'm Pastor Paul. So glad that you were here in person or joining online. A couple things before we get rolling this morning. First, um, starting the week after Easter, that would be April 11th, no more online seat reservations or pods. Okay, do I hear an amen for this? Okay, thank you. Uh, some of you were a little too excited about that, but, but uh, we'll get you more information about that. We'll still have the rows kind of configured the way we are, but with more and more people coming back, and some of y'all are just like, I'm not signing up. And so anyway, visitors, guests, so it just seems to make, make a lot of sense, and we'll, we'll talk some more about that as we, as we move forward. Secondly, um, April 18th, we are going to be resurrecting, no pun intended, or maybe intended, um, our sunset services. And uh, we're going to be gathering at 6.30 um, from here to the end of um, the school year. Where, and those times are just super special if you joined us back in the fall. Uh, we're going to be teaching through First John for our sunset services this spring. We worship sort of under the, under the stars, under the lights. And it's just a sweet, sweet time and hope you guys uh, will join us. So please make note of that. But this morning, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter 3. So I invite you to turn there. The, the theme, the subject of First Timothy, as we've been talking about, is what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be the family of God? And let's be honest, um, in a season where many have been away from the church for a long time, not in regular fellowship, um, those who haven't been back as you're coming back, you're probably experiencing the fact that this is like a different church. This is like a, I'm like a new person again, and, and there, that's, that's true in so many ways. And such a timely study for us to, to remind ourselves what it means to be the church, the family of God. And remember in chapter 1, Paul talks about how important truth and doctrine is that we unify around the gospel and the things of, um, of God's word. Secondly, in, ch- in chapter 2, we've been looking at these instructions that Paul gives us about how we're to worship and how we're to pray and how we're to relate together as men and women in the body of Christ. And what does that mean to, to, to do that? And then finally, we now get to chapter 3, where Paul is going to talk about leadership. And apart from godly, biblical, faithful leadership, Paul tells us, we're just not going to be able to faithfully carry out God's design for the church for his bride. And we are, let's be honest, guys, we we live in a culture that is allergic to leadership, right? Suspicious of leadership. But we're reminded about how important leadership is when we when we read a book, and you may have, to have read this book when you were in when in high school, Lord of the Flies by William Golding. It's a it's spoiler alert, but 70 years later, we, we're safe to, to give the punchline, right? So, so there's an island full of these young boys who've been stranded on from a, from a plane from a plane wreck, and they're sort of left on this island to fend for themselves. And it's in a fascinating like look at what ends up happening as they try to govern and rule themselves. And more of the story, they end up trying to hunt down and kill each other. And we make the mistake, though, of thinking there wasn't leadership. Actually, there was leadership. It was just of the wrong kind, right? It's a reminder for us, as much as we can askew leadership or be suspicious of it, there cannot not be leadership. Whether it's in your marriage or in your home or in the workplace or in the church or on your sports team, 
or wherever you happen to be, please note, guys, someone will lead, right? It's just that organizational dysfunction happens when the people who are called to lead don't lead, or when the leadership structure is unclear, or those who are called to follow don't want to follow. They want to undermine the leadership. And this is what was happening in the church in Ephesus. And so Paul takes time to outline for us how we're to order ourselves under godly qualified leadership in the local church. And so last week, Pastor Scott opened up 1 Timothy 3 and talked about elders. And this idea that spiritual leadership in the church has been entrusted to a godly qualified group of men called elders. They've been given spiritual leadership. But today we're going to talk about deacons and how servant leadership is what's been entrusted to them. So if spiritual leadership is given to elders, servant leadership is given to deacons. And so if you are willing and able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's word this morning. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 13. They're on the screen behind us. If you don't have your Bibles, hear the word of God. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need your leadership. We are here as your people, and we are proclaiming you are King Jesus. And we want to order ourselves under your leadership in the way that you've called us to do. Lord, we're like Moses. If you're not with us, we don't want to go there. Lord, if you're not leading us, if you're not at the front and center, then, then we are lost, we are hopeless. And so, Father, give us the grace to know what it means to order ourselves aright in the family of God under you and the leadership you provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. Guys, three, three points this morning we want to make. They're, they're really simple, very straightforward. And here they are. Number one, what are deacons? What do they do? Um, number two, who are they? How do we recognize them? And three, finally, how are they chosen or set apart? And one of the things I want you to note in this, and we noted this a number of times when we were talked about the role of men and women in the life of the church. We talked about this idea that there is this beautiful complementarity between who God has created men and women to be. Equal, both made in the image of God, worthy of esteem and honor, but different in function and role in the home and the church. And we're going to notice the same thing when it comes to elders and deacons. Both are vital to the life of the church, 
Both are God-ordained offices in the life of the church, but each have a different role and function. And it's important that we understand the difference so that we can like have a healthy leadership, church, and family culture, all right? So this is where we're going. So number one, what are deacons? Now, to understand why um, Paul outlines two different offices in the life of the church, elders and deacons, we need to spend just a couple of minutes, and by a couple of minutes, that's pastor speak for seven or eight minutes, all right? Got you with me? So we're going to spend just a couple of minutes kind of outlining the trajectory of leadership that we find in the New Testament. So when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, what we're celebrating this season, before he went back to heaven, he gathered all his apostles up and he gave them a commission. What he was essentially doing is that he was passing the torch of leadership to them. They were going to be called to rule and govern and lead the church in Christ's stead while he was gone until he comes back. Now, a super familiar passage that you've heard many times, Matthew 28. I want you to think about that, this passage kind of anew in light of this passing of the torch. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, the apostles were to rule on behalf of Christ. Their authority was binding whether they were visiting a church in person and giving instruction or whether they were writing letters to the churches, um, there, it was not three tips to a better church life and spiritual life in the ancient Middle East. That, that was not what this was about. Paul was not giving suggestions. Peter was not giving hints. Um, you know, the apostles weren't inviting us in to just consider maybe possibly um, following their directives. No, they were the authority of Christ. And by the way, this is why we have the New Testament, right? This is why um, we have, you know, the church over the centuries has compiled the letters of the apostles and their associates because we believe that God's word is ongoing. It is binding in our hearts and lives. But the primary mission, please understand this, as the apostles gather together, was they were to go out and preach the gospel where the gospel wasn't. They were to plant churches where there was no church. And so when Christ went back into heaven, the, the, the apostles, and we know this from the New Testament, we also know this from church history, spanned the globe, literally the four corners of the globe. And as they began to fan out across the world and preach the gospel and plant churches, two issues emerged for the church and for them. Number one, they realized, and by the way, this is the same dynamics that happen in any growing business, organization, church, or what have you. They realized they couldn't be everywhere at once. And so as the church grew, what they had to do, and it tells us in Acts 14, this was Paul and Barnabas, for example, they would plant churches and then they would establish elders in the life of these churches who were to govern the church, lead the church, shepherd the church, teach the church, all under the authority of the apostles. Well, the second thing that happened as the church grew is that the ministry and physical needs of the church 
began to overwhelm the spiritual needs of the church. And the elders and the apostles realized we're, we're not going to be able to devote ourselves to our main responsibilities, which is to teach God's word, which is to pray, which is to shepherd, which is to preach. We need some help. We need some deacons. And so the first time we see sort of this pattern of diaconate leadership emerge is in Acts chapter 6. And let me read this for us. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, imagine that in the church, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, the seven are not referred to in this passage as deacons. However, and by the way, I discovered this was a word this week, I'm not making this up, although I think the word is made up, okay? Deaconing is all over this passage, right? That phrase, look back at Acts 6 for a second, to serve tables, that's the same root word that we have here in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3, diakonois. It means literally to wait tables, to run errands, to be an attendant, to serve, And so what we see here emerging in the life of the church as it grew is that the spiritual care of the churches was entrusted to elders, but the physical care of the churches was entrusted to deacons. Now, for some of you, this is going to be rather confusing, particularly growing up here in the South. Some of you may have grown up in churches or have been a part of churches where deacons were the rulers, right? The deacons were the board. The deacons were the the guys who prosecuted people for spilling punch on the Jones Memorial carpet in the fellowship hall, right? That group. we, We all know that group, right? Now, the pastors may have been elders, Okay, but there was this, the deacons were kind of over here. They were this board. They were, they were there to kind of like keep the elders in, in check, so to speak. You know, there was like, it's like the, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Like they're trying to do the same thing, but there's always this tension and there's this bicameral form of government. And just please understand, I don't think that's a biblical model at all. You see, you can see this, by the way, in the qualifications for elders and deacons and how they are the same and how they are different. First of all, please note that the qualifications for elder and deacon in terms of character are very heavy on godliness. They're very heavy on holiness. They're very heavy when it comes to character. In fact, they're nearly identical. But they're different in two ways. In two ways. First of all, and as Pastor Scott unpacked for us last week, for the elder, it's incredibly important that elders have the capacity to teach. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to necessarily have a, a strong public gift or that sort of thing. It just means they need to be able to know their theology. They need to be able to t- articulate doctrine and truth. They need to be able to discern error whether it's in a small group or before the church or in one-on-one counseling, they need to be able to shepherd people 
in a knowledge of God's word and help them to apply it. What's interesting, there's no corresponding qualification like this when it comes to deacon. So that, that's, one, that's one difference. A second difference, it does tell elders and deacons that they must be able to manage their own households well. And, and again, that's important. It's a, it's a pattern of order. But Paul gives the reason for this and why this is so important for elders, right? He says, if they can't manage their house, then how are they going to manage the household of God? Again, that part of the command and qualification is not given to deacons. Yes, they need to be able to manage their household affairs in order, yes. But they are not given a corresponding charge of leading and caring for the church spiritually like the elders are. And I think one of the interesting things that we have to consider is that really the office of deacon, the diaconate, has very little mention in the New Testament. It's only as we see the church grow over several decades and we see deacons first mentioned in Philippians and then we see them mentioned in 1 Timothy. The reason this is is that at the initial onset of the life of the church, deacons weren't needed. Deacons, okay, were a as-needed office that were to function alongside of the elders to help the elders in their primary mission to preach and teach the Word of God. That meant a deacon's service was by definition and is by definition, I think, fluid and transitory. See, the spirit, see, see, elders were installed and are installed with the understanding that they are going to be shepherds in God's house as long as they are qualified because the spiritual needs of the church never change, do they? We need God's word. We need truth. We need prayer. We need care. We need shepherding. But the physical needs of the life of the church will change. They will morph. They will take on different expressions depending on what size the church is or what stage of growth the church is in or what the physical and ministerial demands of the church life happen to be at any particular given point in time. Which means, again, that the deacons were much more meant and designed to take on a supportive role, to assist, to encourage, to give lift to the ministry and missions of the church. And guys, I'm always reminded of how important diaconal ministry is, little d. Because sometimes I'll be here on a Friday or over the weekend, and I'm getting ready to, to preach for Sunday morning, and the office closed, and nobody is here, and I'll hear somebody come in the front door, and just like clockwork, I can always tell when she's going to be here is a woman named Ellen Tillotson. Some of you know the Tillotsons. And she would be horrified if she knew that what I did at first service and she was horrified. But she'll be secondly horrified if she's watching online to know that I'm bringing up her name. Because she just faithfully comes week after week, volunteers on a Friday morning, Saturday morning, and she just comes in and cleans all the kids' classrooms. Just scrubs down the toys, scrubs down, I mean, just takes care of everything as a volunteer, doesn't want recognition, um, is going to be totally embarrassed when you come up to her and thank her, which I encourage you to do, by the way. That's fun. She'll be totally embarrassed, 
because she just wants to serve. She's not there for the limelight. And the reason that this is so important, right, is that we want to gather as God's people. We want, to, we want, we want you to, to be under preaching and teaching and come together and worship together. But we know that apart from the diaconal ministry and all the things that happen here on a Sunday morning, that just wouldn't happen. I mean, I want you to think about all the things that had to go into making worship happen this morning. Not just Ellen Cleaning, but children's ministry volunteers and student ministry volunteers and worship and the guys in the sound booth. And it's like, you never hear from the guys in the sound booth unless something is not working right, right? Then everybody turns around and looks at them. See, that means they're doing a great, if you're not turning around, that means they're doing a great job. And, and the greeters, the volunteers, these are all things that have to happen in order for the church to engage in its primary mission. And I'm going to have a little more to say about our, our deacons here in just a moment. But the point here this morning is to understand what they're to do, who they're to be, what they are called to do, and that without them and without that kind of diaconal ministry in our church, we would be toast, right? They're the folks that make things happen. Number two now, who are they? Who are they? Let me just say this. Everyone in God's family, we need to understand, is a deacon, little d. We're all called to be servants, all are called to run errands. None of us are ever above or at the point of saying, you know what, what I do around here is so important that I can't, I can't bother with this, right? Somebody else will, will take care of that. Or, or you know, um, um, you know I, I, I'm a servant, but I'm, I'm more of a, a distant servant, right? I kind of observe and I serve by telling other people what to do. Guys, interesting, what does Paul consistently call himself? A servant a slave. All of the scripture writers do, by the way. Husbands are to be servant leaders. Husbands, you were to wash your wife's feet. In fact, if you're really godly and biblical at five o'clock today, you'll turn off the TV and wash your wife's feet, okay? The guys know what I'm talking about here, right? Elders are servant leaders. Jesus was a servant leader. We're going to talk about him more in just a second. He laid down his life. So we are all deacons, little d. Deacons, capital D, which Paul speaks about here, are those who are set apart for the church to be examples for the rest of us, to mobilize servant leaders, to inspire other servant leaders, to facilitate and model service for the rest of the body. They're not there to exercise spiritual authority. They are there to provide administrative and supportive help. And, and one of the things that Paul addresses here, and it's kind of a sticky wicket, and I'm going to try to do the best I can with it in the time that we have, addresses this issue is that who can be a deacon? Is it qualified men only? Or is it men and women. And let me just say, before we go through this, there is really good biblical evidence for both. And the reason for that is that this word, look back in verse 11 for a second, where it says, it's talking about deacons in 8 through 10, then it says, their wives, that word for wives, genomai, can actually be translated either wives or women. 
And the ESV made the call in its translation to interpret, to translate it as wives. But let me just kind of give you both sides of this for a second and tell you where we are as a church. For the men-only position as for deacons, um, first of all, they would look, those folks would look to Acts 6, that we just read, and note that it was men who were chosen for that position, even though they're not called deacons, it's kind of a diaconal sort of thing. That this passage seems to designate very clearly a husband of one wife, and that to read it as in men deacons do this, and then to address women deacons, and then back to men deacons, they would say is a little unwieldy. It seems a little disjunctive. The most natural reading of the text is to say men only are to serve in the office of deacon. Well, those who believe in men and women in the diaconate want to note that if it was designating these women as wives, why wouldn't it say their wives, right? There is no pronoun. In the Greek, it just simply says wives or women, and those looking at those original languages to say it seems to make the most sense to say that they are women. In addition to this, they would also point out the fact that why would Paul single out the wives of deacons but not single out the wives of elders? Certainly, they're both very important in the function of their husband's ministry. Well, when you look at Romans 16, I think this is a helpful, helpful passage, okay? Romans 16, 1 through 2. Paul is writing, and listen to what Paul says. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has given, been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, that word, servant, is, guess what? Deacon or diaconoi. And as Paul describes Phoebe's role in the life of the early church, clearly this was a very important person. Do you realize that we, that most scholars believe that in fact, Phoebe um, was carrying, do you know which letter she was carrying from the church in Corinth to Rome? She was carrying the book of Romans. And she was clearly um, someone who was very prominent in the life of the early church, giving support, financial support, and other kinds of support to the apostles and the elders in the church at that time. Now, let me just say this, okay? There are conservative, reformed, evangelical pastors and theologians on both sides of this issue, okay? So men like Ligon Duncan, who's the, past, who's the president of RTS, Seminary, Denny Burke, um, president of CMBW, Council of Biblical Men and Womanhood, would, would ride very hard for men only in the diaconate. On the other hand, you have men like Tim Keller, John Piper, John MacArthur, who would advocate for women deacons as well. And so let me say, if you disagree with where I'm coming from here, email John Piper, okay? I'm sure you'll get a, an immediate response to your concern, right? But our church's position is that we set aside men and women for the position of deacon. That's what our network affirms as well. Now, let me just say this. I think if you adopt a men-only interpretation of deacons, you are very faithful. I don't think you're out in left field. I don't think, 
I think there's plenty of room under the tent for, for us here, particularly in light of the biblical evidence. But however you interpret, okay, whether this is wives or women, there is no doubt and there is no dispute among any biblical scholar that women played a vital role in the diaconal ministry of the church. Just read Romans 16 and just listen to all the women that Paul mentions as integral to his life and ministry. Lydia, Mary, Junia, Julia, Phoebe, who we, who we just mentioned. Because men, can I just say something that, that, that's plainly obvious, right? Why did women play such a vital role in the early life and ministry of the church diaconally? Because let's be honest, they get the job done, right? We, we all know that. When, you're, when your child at home needs to get something done, do they, dad, do they come to you? Well, mine do, but you get what I'm saying, right? They get the job done. Guys, let me just say this. All of our men and women deacons here at Four Oaks are, are amazing, which includes all of our non-pastoral staff, which includes our lay deacons. We have husband and wife teams. We have people doing benevolence. We have women on our local care team. We have men on our facility team. And without them, can we just all say we would all be in a world of hurt? And I was reminded of this when I was watching my all-time favorite Disney Pixar movie, which is Ratatouille, which is not the name of the rat, by the way. It's the name of the food, right? And then, of course, there's the, the, the young guy, Chef Linguini, right? Of course. He takes over the culinary duties as the chief chef of Gusto's. And all of this cooking starts to go to his head, right? Forgetting that he was taught to cook by a rat. That's, that's immaterial. But all of this starts to go to his head, and he begins to have this idea that, you know, I'm the star of this place. And without me, no one is going to come here. Without me, right, no one's going to want to... No, I mean, I'm the master of the recipes and what happens here. They're, they're coming here because they want to taste what I prepare. Until one day, and it's the crisis of the movie, what happens? His staff walks out. And that's the point in time where everything in the restaurant grinds to a halt, remember? In fact, he has to bring in the rats to sort of fill the gaps. And it's a humbling lesson, is it not? That without a team, he's toast. And folks, let me just say, if we want to be a faithful church, a biblical church, a church on mission, a church taking the gospel, a church that's building up, encouraging one another, we have to have a vibrant, faithful body of Christ who's taking on the life and ministry of the church. Guys, we're not a parish ministry, right? We're not a ministry where uh, the pastors and elders going, are going around doing the ministry for the people. We are here to equip you to do the works of ministry. And Paul says something really interesting in this text that I think gets, gets overlooked. I want you to look at verse 13. Listen to what he says. As you're thinking about this, as you're thinking about what does service, ministry, diaconal work look like in my life, 
He says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Because let me tell you how a lot of us approach serving in the church. It goes something like this, you know, Pastor Paul, I, I can't serve this, this season. My schedule does, does not allow it. Or, or, or Pastor Paul, you know, the, the needs of my kids are just overwhelming. Or Pastor Paul, like, we really need to work on our marriage, okay, before we can come and serve together. Or Pastor Paul, like, I'm having all kind of spiritual doubts in my life. And this is something I... I just got to, I, I need some time. I need some space. I need some, some opportunity to, to grow personally. Or Pastor Paul, like, I, I'm, my, my theology is not where I'd want it to be. Come back in six months, a year when I've had time to grow some, and, and then I might be ready to serve. Because that's the diametrically opposite way of Paul approaches this. Paul seems to be saying, hey, are you struggling to get plugged in? Are you, are, are, you, are you struggling with doubts in your faith? Are, are, does your life feel more like a lagoon? Do you know what I mean by that? Where you're, there's, the water is stagnant and everything is a sort of orbits around you. Things are just sort of turned inward in your life. Things are just kind of come, become about yourself. Your life has become about yourself. You know what Paul would say? Don't wait till you get it together. Just serve. Just serve. The quickest way to connection in the life of this church, folks, serve. The quickest way or one of the quickest ways to getting meaningfully connected in your spiritual walk is to serve. Guys, Paul makes a promise here as an apostle. He says, if you want a place to stand in this body, serve. If you want to be a part of the family, don't sit on the sofa while the rest of the family is in the, uh, is, in the, is in the other room playing games together and having a great time and wondering why somebody's not inviting you in. He says, no, get in there and play and serve, engage. Paul says, if you want to grow in confidence in your faith, don't turn inward. Oh, my gosh. Paul says, turn outward. God has given us a promise that you will, he will give you a place to stand and belong in this family. Just trust him. Just trust him because you're going to have to go against all your natural instincts. You're going to have to go against all of your sociological intuition. And you're going to have to trust the bare word of God. When Paul gives us this promise, for those who serve well, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Last point, this will be quick and then we'll be done. How do we choose deacons? How does that happen? Two things very quickly that Paul points us to in this text, character and competency. It's very interesting that all of the character qualifications for a deacon are all things that askew the limelight. Well, look at the text. He says, be dignified. Don't be double-tongued. Don't be greedy. Don't be prone to addiction. Because when we think about 
the incredible things that are entrusted to the deacons of this church to be an example in leadership. Paul says it's at a premium your personal life and faith. The fact that that you can just be faithful. The fact that you can just do what you say you're going to do. The fact that that trust, things are entrusted to you. That's Paul's emphasis here in these character qualities. But how do we find them? Paul says, very simple. You observe them and just affirm what God is doing. Look at verse 10. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Because let me tell you how this doesn't work here. We, we, we don't simply say, we're, you know, we're looking for deacons. Let's make a list. Who do we think would make a great deacon? You know, that person would make a great deacon if only they weren't so busy. Or that person would be a great deacon if only they would just sort of step up to the plate and begin serving. That's not how it works. See, we recognize deacons by those who are already deaconing, right? All we're doing is praying and saying, God, it's the same thing with eldership, just give us wisdom, insight, vision to see what you're already doing in people's lives. God, who have you given here a, a burden and a heart to serve? Who is just being faithful? Who, is, who, who doesn't even want to be a deacon but who is faithfully discharging the duties thereof. Guys, here's what a deacon does. And here's what a consumer does. A consumer looks at a need in the church, looks at a gap in the church, looks at a problem in the church, and looks around and says, who's going to take care of this? Right? Who's the manager that I file a complaint with? That's Joe Godfrey, by the way. You file a complaint with her. A deacon says, oh, there's a need? Well, let me feel it. Let me move towards that. Let me talk to someone and say, hey, I've got a burden and a heart and a passion for this. Guys, this is called New Testament ministry. And as we are thinking about who we look to as the supreme deacon that we want to model our lives after, it might surprise you to, to come to know that that person, in fact, is Jesus. And I want you to listen to this passage from Mark 10. It's one you've heard undoubtedly many times, but I want you to hear it in a new light, in light of this call for us to all lay down our lives and gifts. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your diaconoi. And whomever would be first among you must be a doulos, a slave of all. Now listen. For even the Son of Man came not to deacon, diaconoi, but to diaconoi and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, Jesus was the supreme deacon. 
Guys, did you know that Jesus labored behind the scenes for 30 years? And no one knew that what he was really preparing himself for was to go and die. Guys, when Jesus came riding in on that donkey on Palm Sunday, they, they thought he was there to be anointed king. He knew he was there to lay down his life for the very people that were calling later for his head. Because when Jesus laid his life down on the cross, please understand this. It was not until after his death that anyone understood what he had really done. Do you understand that? Like we, as human beings, we so crave the applause and approval of men that we want, we'll, we'll gladly serve, but we just want to make sure somebody knows about it. We want to make sure that we get invited to the volunteer appreciation lunch, you know, or whatever it is. But do you realize that when Jesus was dying on that cross, people were not huddled around the cross saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for laying your life down for us. No, they were out of there. They were wailing and moaning and crying and scared and fearing for their lives. And we need to think about that when we read anew what Jesus says here. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to diakonoi and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus says in Luke 17 that when we've, done our, when we've done what God has called us to do, we are to say, I'm only a servant. I've just done my duty. Jesus was the ultimate example of this. When he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Let me ask you this, Four Oaks. Do you know this man? Do you know this supreme deacon? Because all the service and diaconal work and good works in the world will do you no good apart from the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, the supreme deacon who gave his life as a ransom for many. Do you know him? Trust in him. Come to him. He laid his life down for you. Let's pray. Lord,